0: This is the Architecture Corner podcast. The purpose with Architecture Corner is to have a place to discuss subjects in the intersection between business and IT. Today IT is relevant in most cases when you want to do changes to the business. The opposite is even more true. You need business involvement when doing changes to IT in order to succeed.
1: I'm in Helsingborg, together with uh, Woody Suhl. Hi Woody. Hi, how are you doing? And we are going to talk a bit about about mob programming. So, if I understand it correctly, mob programming is is like a... um, It's programming that is done more like how you run a nuclear power plant with people sitting together in one room looking at the same screen and uh, working together rather than, than people working at their own desk and meeting just for a daily scrum.
0: Yeah, that's the basic idea, is that we're actually doing the work together as opposed to working individually and gathering occasionally to compare notes or to, to decide on what we're going to do next. We're spending all the time together.
1: So uh, there, there is only one, I, you call it driver, right? In yes. all Programming. So there is only one person doing uh, programming at a time. And
0: yeah, that's, that's an interesting thought. The programming isn't typing. something we do. Yeah, there's one person typing at a time. And that, that role is basically to, to translate the thoughts that the team is having into code that a computer can use. So a part of programming is writing code. But another part of programming a bigger part of programming is the learning and the thinking about what we're doing and so that's the basic concept of mob programming mm-hmm. that we're going to have a whole team thinking discussing and learning together and translating that through a single person into the computer
1: so when, when we have urgent work of any kind we try to sit down together and uh, and and do it together we sit in a room we we call it a meeting or we call it a mob or whatever but it gets exhausting doesn't it it can very much so so if
0: we have something really complex to work on together and we call a meeting to do that it it can be uh, it can take us more effort to do that than our normal daily work so we'll get tired out that often Mm -hmm. happens
1: Uh, i i I saw that um, some statistics saying that the more people have meetings uh, at work, the, the more they're tired when they go home.
0: Yeah, that's probably true. I don't know, uh, but that sounds like it would be true to me. So there's a big difference between that and what we do with mob programming. Matter of fact, at first, I noticed people talking about or asking about uh, mob programming and trying it would later get back to me and say, boy, it was fatiguing. We worked three or four hours, and we were just all worn out. Mm-hmm. And I noticed with our team, where we were doing it, um, we weren't getting worn out. So I was starting puzzling. Why are they getting worn out? Why are we not getting worn out? And I think a big part of it is we're paying attention sufficiently, but we're not focused intently during the entire time, Mm -hmm. which you don't need to be uh, completely involved in everything that's going on. So if we feel that we need to pay attention every moment, that's going to wear us out. So anybody on the team at any time could get up, leave the work area, go take a break, uh-huh. uh, get something to drink, go talk with someone else, uh-huh. work on something they feel that they want to work on that's outside of the team. Uh-huh. So there's no requirement that you sit there and pay you know, close attention the whole time. I'll, I'll, I'll take that just a step further. What we're trying to do is look for where we can contribute the right thing at the right time and in the right way. And that doesn't mean we have to be contributing every moment. Uh-huh. We just have to be paying enough attention to be ready to answer questions when they come up and be ready to respond to the current situation, whatever it is, to be able to contribute.
1: So, so uh, when someone hears about it the first time, I, I think many people go like, uh, but uh, that's uh, only one, um, one person typing and we're, uh, I'm paying for, for a team of five. Right. Uh, and, and they're going to ask, uh, how, how, how is this going to be efficient? And right. I, I guess you have the numbers to back it up.
0: Well, to start with, um, I think that the how questions of that sort uh, are are blocking questions. They they give us a way to say that can't possibly work, because however you can describe it can be defended against. I don't know if that's the right word. In other words, if we ask how can this possibly be efficient, the question maybe can be turned over. So I take this quote from Peter Block where he says, Transformation comes more from seeking or from, we're going to restate that. Transformation comes more from pursuing profound questions than seeking practical answers. If we pursue profound questions, we will gain knowledge. Seeking the practical answers comes once we've gained that understanding or knowledge that, that pursuing profound questions gives us. So this is what happened to me. The first time I talked about this at a conference, many people would come up and ask, how can this be effective? Mm -hmm. How can this be efficient? And my response at the time was, well, I don't know how. It just is. It's not so important to me at the moment to know how as it is to recognize that it is being effective. Mm -hmm. But then I went back. So what is the profound question? I'm not necessarily good at coming up with profound questions, but the question I came up with is this what are the things that destroy productivity? Rather than how can we keep being efficient, I want to know what are the things that destroy productivity. Yeah, yeah. So where that went for me was we started making a list of what those things might be, mm-hmm. such as a communication problem that I call question queue time. Question queue time is the amount of time you must wait to get an answer to a question that's blocking you from working on something. hmm that's something I've seen over and over again in software development.
1: It is a profound issue in software development that, that you don't know the answer and you have to find out. And, and that happens several times per day for the developer. Several
0: times per day. And sometimes you the answer won't come quickly. You need to find the right person to ask the, answer, the question to to get the answer. Sometimes that means you're going to send an email to get that answer. Mm-hmm. And then when you get the answer back, whenever it might come, you'll find that you didn't describe the question well enough, yes. so they answered the wrong question. Mm-hmm. So you respond. And this turns into a five or six emails as we try better and better to describe what we're trying to say, mm-hmm. where if we were sitting with each other, we could have just gone to the whiteboard. As in our conversation right now, mm-hmm. you, could, you could quickly ask, uh, ask a question back to clarify the question I'm asking. And emails, it's rather difficult to do that. Yes. So Yes, the, the uh, c-
1: conversation is about gaining a joined understanding, That's shared right. understanding.
0: So, that's one thing we noticed we were no longer having uh, among the team members. Mm. We didn't set out to solve that problem. What we set out to do is turn up the good on working together. We noticed that working together was being effective for us, and we wanted to try more of it. Mm. We didn't set out to solve any problems, but we noticed problems were getting solved. So when someone now asks me, well, how can this be more effective? Well, one of the things is we're no longer waiting to get answers to questions of a certain type. So, for example, let's say you're the lead developer on this team and I'm one of the other developers. I turn to you for answers frequently. Mm -hmm. I come over to your desk to ask you a question and you're not there right now. So I send you an email. You may not get back to to me till the next day because maybe you're in a meeting well, I've lost a day of work on that particular bit of work, so now I have to shift over to some other work. We're doing this context switching all the time. Yes. So the way we solve this typically in most organizations is we have several tasks to work on at a time. We have our primary task and a few others we can do to fill in the time when we can't work on the one we're trying to get done. Mm-hmm. So that context switching between the two or three or more mm-hmm. can itself be a problem. Mm-hmm. So what we found That's for good. ourselves yeah. is we would end up no longer asking those questions because the people that were going to answer them were sitting with us and they're anticipating the questions so and even when we still had to ask them they were still there right with us so we had a zero queue time instead of let's say waiting an hour to get an answer it was zero Hmm. now i can go on on this if you want no no no
1: no (laughs) let's not do that let's talk about uh for instance um roles so so this so you have you're, you're rotating the roles, but I, I guess, uh, what about skills? Is it just developers or do you also have testers and analysts or operations people or whatever it's called, or, or is it a homogenous group or a diversity?
0: So where we started, uh, it was a team with several different roles, including programmers, and testers. Mm-hmm. As we started working this way, we were including what we consider the product experts. Mm-hmm. So the product ex- expert would be somebody who knows what this application is supposed to do, what it's for, mm-hmm. why are we making it. Because yes. they're actually, it's more important to have them available to be asking questions to them than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. So they're included in the process. Uh, where I was working with this uh, over the last four years, we did not have access to those people all the time, mm-hmm. but we would try to at least get them involved a couple hours a day. Yes. So that included a pretty broad spectrum, but we also would bring in uh, enterprise experts and mm-hmm. or database experts that weren't specifically on our team whenever they are needed. Mm-hmm. So they actually come and work as part of the team, at least for part of the project. When they're needed. Uh, whenever they're needed, but it would be nice to have them there full time. I've seen several examples, I've visited a lot of people that are doing this sort of work, where they have more teams and some of the experts who are necessary for the different teams are are um, nearby, they're actually in the same work area, but they're not serving on any specific team. So they're, they're able to be called on and brought onto a team at any moment. We tried to work pretty much that way as well.
1: Hmm. So I, I guess you could apply mob programming uh, style of working uh, regardless of other things you're, you're doing, if, if you're doing like for Agile or DevOps or, even if you're not doing programming at all.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting um, write, point. Writing a book,
1: for instance. Yes.
0: So this is a good point. This is an extremely good point, because much of the work that we do in the workplace, but in our leisure life as well, involves other people. Hmm. So, for example, it would be rare for a uh, for a construction crew not to have a bunch of people working together while they're doing some work. It's not unusual for managers to have meetings that could be considered working together, five or six people gathering together Uh to do some work. Uh Now, not all meetings are that way, but a lot of meetings can be that way. I've worked in some fields like doing, um, uh, I worked at a newspaper once a long time ago, and the last few days, it was a weekly paper, the last few days before the newspaper was printed, everybody would gather together and start deciding what went where, what can we cut, uh, what do we need to fill, and things Uh like that. It was done Uh as a team. I think that's called the design studio method. But you can see it in many other things, orchestras um, and in creative work of all sorts. You know, there's partnerships in writing music. There's partnerships in writing stories, in doing art, in writing television shows.
1: We could go on and on.
0: I, I think this can apply to so, almost So, so
1: you, in general, it seems like you're getting better results when people work together as a team and, yeah. and not as a bunch of individuals who occasionally meet uh, and call themselves a team.
0: Oh, that's a good point. So there's, there's a team in name only kind of an idea. Mm-hmm. That we're on this team because we have the same manager. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we're on the team of, let's say, custom software or enterprise software in the mm-hmm. company. Yeah. Does that really make us a team? It depends on how we want to use the word team, because it's not the idea that, that we're actually doing something as a team. We're individually working. When we actually work together, if you think of like a sports team, It would be rare to see a sports team where one guy shows up at noon to block a goal, and then another guy shows up later to kick a goal. Some, you know, they're on the field at the same time playing the same game. You know, so can we find a way to do that with software? It was purely by accident that we started doing this. It wasn't like we sat down and said, we should work together as a team. We noticed that when we worked together as a team, good things were happening. And we have this idea of turning up the good. If we notice something is good, can we turn it up a notch?
1: So, so when I was a student, we were usually uh, did programming exercises as pairs, oh. uh, always well, because I don't know if there wasn't enough computers or whatever, but we always did them together. Yes. And, and naturally, it would be one person typing and the other person would be doing research, thinking, checking, etc. And, and we didn't make much of it, it was just how we worked. Yes. But, but now even that is, uh, you know, uh, a thing. Well, yeah, I guess it's
0: been around for a long, long time. You know, it, it, it's, it's based for us on a few simple principles. And once, one of those principles is the idea that for an idea to get from somebody's head into the computer, it has to go through someone else's hands. Uh-huh. So this requires that we be able to articulate our idea before it becomes part of the code. So in many pair programming models, the person with the idea is the one who takes the keyboard. Uh-huh. And while they're working at the keyboard, their thoughts are going into the computer. And for someone else to follow it, they have to read it back out. And that doesn't work so well, because we're translating from human thought into computer code. Mm-hmm. And now we're reading it back out from computer code and translating back into human thought. Something's going to be lost in the translation. Uh,
1: hilarious uh, research done by by uh, some software sort of engineering scientists uh, there is a tendency that, you know, when we do uh, big data analytics and, and uh, whatever, that that we find things that aren't really there. Yeah. So, and and you said that, you know, uh, it has to go through the keyboard. So, so well, they logically also all errors have to go through the keyboard. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, through specific keys, right? Yes. So they, they did a, a data mining study on Eclipse source code uh, and found that, uh, most errors were from I, R, O, and P keys. Ah, so remove those keys. Yes, and you would remove a significant <laughs> portion of the errors.
0: Interesting.
1: But of course, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of bogus, because if yeah. they did it on the next release, and yeah. then it, were, it was some other keys. Oh.
0: Well, we have to have a pattern to follow. If the pattern isn't there, it, it may not be useful. So, so so, so, it, but,
1: but you're right. It's, it's the ideas that are being translated. translated. It's not the keyboard.
0: So there's a, there's a thing that a lot of developers talk about, uh, like being in the zone or being in flow in their thinking. So they, they're very focused on writing code. And if they're interrupted while they're doing that, it might, it might mean they'll lose their train of thought, and then it'll be difficult for them to get back to where they were. Mm -hmm. I've had that experience myself. Worked for hours and hours thinking through something and coding it. And I don't know if that's necessarily good or bad. It's just a pattern that we've seen or a way things can be. But when we're programming as a group it's very different. The person at the keyboard in the model that I follow is only at the keyboard for a few minutes at a time. 20 or? Uh, Usually between 5 and 15 minutes. Okay. So you can, as a matter of fact, I've done experiments with two minutes just for fun. And you can code just as well if, if the person just can get to the keyboard quickly and just go on it two minutes at a time. The point isn't how well we can get their code into the keyboard as much it is as it is how well we've thought through what it is we're trying to put in to the computer. So when there's five or six people thinking together, it's a different model of thinking. So if I'm solo at the keyboard and I'm thinking about the business logic I'm trying to code, The architecture or design that I'm working within and the code language I'm working in. And there might be two or three languages at the same time. Some SQL or or some uh, C Sharp or whatever, some uh, JavaScript. It's a lot of things that we need to be thinking about. We're doing a lot of context shifting for each idea as each line is getting put into the code. Mm -hmm. Now, I have nothing to prove that. But I believe that that's part of why we feel that we need to get into that zone because we're thinking... About too many things mm. when we work as a group we share that burden and I believe that we can work on bigger problems than a single person can work on when we work as a team
1: uh, it, 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 this is very interesting Budi. and um, for for the viewers uh, you you were evangelizing uh, you're on tour talking about mob programming you you have a blog and uh, you're quite accessible on Twitter as well absolutely so, what's the best way to reach you?
0: The best way is probably just to, to send me a tweet. I'm just Woody Zool in Twitter, so I'm easy to find. Or search on mob programming, and you're sure to find me somewhere in there. But I'm not really evangelizing, I'm sharing.
1: Sharing? Yeah. Okay. So, um, and, and there is the, uh, we'll put the link to the uh, time lapse video. Oh, yes. Because that, that's a great way to understand what it's all about, I think.
0: Yeah, that, that was something we did almost, I think, about three years ago. And what it shows is how active of process this is, how much the people are moving about. Mm-hmm. It, it's, a, it's a real good thing. Three minutes condensed, uh, condenses a full eight-hour day of work. So it's kind of fun to watch.
1: Thanks for uh, being here on Thank Architecture you. Corner. Thank you for listening to Architecture Corner. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And see you next week.